What up, cultists? Welcome back to Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion. Today I'm introducing a brand new little segment. This is a continuation of our pub conversation series. You may be familiar with my conversations with the homie Gustavo down in Brazil. Today we're going to show you behind the screen with uh, Adam and our friend DM Zemo. Anyway, we've known Zemo for a long time. He's a great guy. We met up with him at Gen Con a couple times. We always have a good time hanging out with him. And he's come a long way. So we'd like to share some of what's going on with him right now. If you're interested in getting to know Zemo or following his material, he's on Instagram. That's DM underscore Zemo. So that's DM underscore Z-E-M-O. He also has a blog called Power Words Kill. It's just as you would expect, powerwordskill.com. So check those out. All right, without any further ado, here comes Adam and Zemo, the pub conversation. Check it. All right, well, welcome. How's everything going? How is... I'm, I'm joined by my good friend DM Zemo from Instagram. What's going on, man? How are your games going? Uh, my games are sorely lacking lately, but everything else is good. <laughs> I haven't been, haven't been running anything? You're, you were running like Starjammer, right? Uh, I was running Spelljammer, and the last game that I ran was Splinter. Uh, that was three weeks ago. Okay. But... In the meantime, I've been uh, trying to meet my RPG needs by vicariously living through live plays. Ah, okay, cool. Which ones are you watching? Like Critical Role, those ones? or Yeah, I got caught up with Critical Role, and then I just started... Um, I'm on the second episode of uh, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition LA by Night uh, Storytellers, Jason Carl. So I'm trying to okay. watch how he does it. Yeah, I was going to ask if that's the Jason Carl one. I've heard good things, so I haven't seen that one yet myself, though. I am really enjoying it. Uh, all the players are really into it, and they all... They, I, I mean, I haven't much experience with the vampire, but um, I played it once at... Uh, I played the V5 uh, at Gen Con, and that's basically my only experience, and then listening to you guys talk about it, but... Uh, um, watching Jason Carl in this coterie, I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. There's been a kind of a real renaissance among like the vampire group, which is good to see. I personally don't have any experience with it, but I've been tracking it, you know, like out of morbid curiosity. Yeah. I know you're waiting for the, uh, the, um, the other two books to come out. Yeah, I kind of wanted that, like, core, this is the new edition, like, box set thing that they were talking about so I could interact with it. I I don't know when that's coming, though. I mean, because that was supposed to be out at Gen Con, and it, it doesn't look like it's here yet, so. Yeah, I was watching on their website, because I really want those super fancy dice that are totally not necessary, but they look awesome. Um, yeah. They're supposed to come out late. Uh, October, so they should be at the end of this month. They have the dice, and then I'm like, well, maybe they'll have a book then, too? I don't know. Yeah, I've heard the dice thing. I don't know if it's... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if when all that stuff's gonna gonna hit, 
it's been very curious. They're they have ambition, um, but I I want to see them deliver on some of that ambition. I guess. Well, my hope is that for their sake and for uh, you know that fandom to like maybe not having everything ready works in their favor because then everyone's like chewing at the bit to get the rest of it and then it's like that uh that like oh it's finally out I buy it buy it now you know? yeah yeah build some anticipation so people kind of want to snap it up as soon as it lands mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of a dangerous game though because you may get to the point where people get tired of waiting and then it comes out and they don't care anymore you know they're like all right great well, and hit yeah as long as they don't do things like you know certain kickstarters that like three years later it's still not around then uh, I think they'll they'll they can deal with a couple months, you know, people. It's yeah, I don't know. Even those kickstarters that are late, like Cult's pretty late, and I'm still just like, when Cult's coming, I'm gonna get it. It's gonna be great. So I hold out hope for that. And I've been running D and D lately, so that's been kind of a trip. Uh, yeah. So wait, this is uh, with your um, your coworkers. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I did it at a work thing, and then I there's a game that I'm doing that's outside of that too. Um, yeah, the new edition's very interesting. Like it's a, it's a lot of new players, and um, they all have weird ideas about how D and D works. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> that's like the thing when you're dealing with new people, right? Yeah, I was listening to your uh, comments on it on uh, one of the recent episodes, and you were talking about. They're like, I'm a sorcerer. I want to do Eldritch Blats. And I was like, oh, God. That was because someone just gave them the arcane deck. And they thought they could just cast anything that was in that deck. And I'm like, no, you. there's limits. Like, there's certain ones that are class-specific. And so you need to, like, I really wanted them to just interact with the book. Um, But we have all these peripherals now. But that's the funny thing, though. I was thinking about that. I was like, well, isn't, like, all... RPGs like that in some way. You have to teach somebody the language. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're going to play a game of make-believe, and you can do whatever you want, but it has to be within these boundaries, otherwise it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Well, that was Brendan. He's like, why can't they just cast Eldritch Blast? And I was like, because well, that breaks the game. <laughs> yeah, I was like, just be a warlock. If you want to cast Eldritch Blast, just be a warlock. That's all you gotta do. Just be a warlock. It's not hard. It's like, um, you know, uh, I'm starting to learn more of the V5 and I'm reading the book and uh, watching the, sh- the new show and I'm just like, okay, okay, I'm starting to pick it up. Um, but it's like, there are limits and every game has like different things that are the limiter, uh, you know, different factors. So it's like, okay, yes, you're a vampire, you have superhuman strength, but you can't say break down a building with a single punch you can't yeah. do that well, you, you well can, you'll get a you'll get somebody eventually who's like we want to play elders because then we'll be super powerful and yeah it's it's very weird it's that there's that whole like tribalistic aspect to vampire that that i don't know it's like i my my unquenchable for thirst for that i think has been quenched by like how tribalized society has become you know <laughs> it's just it's like i don't want to deal with this anymore i finally kind of understand all those elders who are like i'm just gonna opt out of the jihad and like go hide in a corner somewhere and wait for you guys to figure this out <laughs> yeah because you do get to that point where you're like i'm just tired of this i'm just tired of everybody telling me how to think and how to act and how to behave just because you know i'm a bruja or whatever it is 
Yeah. Well, I like part of me wonders is like, um, cause you guys were kind of talking about that with Heather about, um, that, Oh, well you can't do that because you're a Bruja and Brujas don't act like that. And like, that reminds me of the same shit with D and D. It's like, mm-hmm. oh well, you're lawful good. You can't do that. It's like, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you alignments are <laughs> they're a problem. Well, it's just funny because like when you look back, they were never meant to be something to bludgeon people over the head with. With like, oh well, you can't do that. You can't. No, you wouldn't do that. It's like, I don't know. Some of my like interest in like philosophy has like recently like view uh changed my view on how i view alignment of like okay well you are you you pick an alignment because that's what the friggin book says to do in the beginning but like you need to put a disclaimer on it especially with new players like look this isn't saying you can't do otherwise this is just saying predominantly this is how you view the world you can do things outside of that because constantly your ideas are changing and situations are changing. You're not a slave to this alignment. But Yeah, um, I think the only place that gets tricky is like with paladins, right? Because you're yes. supposed to be the, the incarnation or avatar of your god. So if I'm like a lawful good paladin of, you know, Bahamut or whatever, and I decide I'm going to go burn down an orphanage full of children, that's, you know, it's like I can't really do that in-game. But what if those children are goblin children? And what oh, that's if, the thing. What yeah. if you insert like the uh, interesting, more interesting moral ambiguity of like, well, do you think this is the right thing to do? Like, did Bahamut mm-hmm. tell you to do this? Like, are right. you, are you being tested? Is it something you're supposed to actually do, and your God is pleased because you do it, and you overcome your uh, inner turmoil, or like, were you never supposed to do it, and then you do it? And then your god's like, right. well, you, you failed. You totally yeah. fucked up that test. Right. Well, you can't just be a maniac, right? And that's the thing. And that's that's why I was never like a huge fan of, of paladins becoming, you know, one of the core classes or whatever. It's just like they're they seem like they should be one of those more advanced concepts. Well, I think fifth edition did something right in that they decentralize the notion of it being about alignment and they made it more about, okay, it's about an oath. It's about something right. you, be- you believe in so firmly and it's not, it's not necessarily something moral. I mean, morality mm-hmm. gets into it, but like you have the oath of vengeance, which is like, okay, well you want to be a kick-ass paladin, kick down the door and blow shit up, then be a vengeance paladin. Uh, if you want to be a little bit more earthy and like more uh, <laughs> peaceful, raging hero, then be Oath of the Ancient Ancients, and like you can be one with nature, and it's like almost like a druidy paladin. Yeah, Nick. that's the thing is there's so much overlap, right? Like evil paladins are essentially warlocks, you know, and then <laughs> you've got these druidy like paladins that are okay i'm like a nature paladin and there's as they've kind of diluted that core paladin concept out a little bit they've kind of muddied the waters with what is it that makes a paladin a paladin as opposed to like you said a druid or a warlock or or what have you but i think in the end like i don't know maybe i'm being too optimistic i think it's a good thing though of like watering it down or like uh 
spreading it out because now it's like, okay, well, what does being a paladin mean to you, the player? And yeah, like, I think it gives you more options. Yeah. Rather than just saying, oh, well, they always are lawful good. <laughs> if you're not a lawful good paladin, get out. No, I, I get it. It's, it's just, it's weird to me. It's like, and I haven't interacted with the game in so long. Um, that I'm really finding my legs as we play it, but it's just you, you get these just weird interactions where you're just quibbling over the rules, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's it's still a very rulesy game. Oh yeah, and and I have just had these like like with that sorcerer thing, and then I had one of the people who's playing a rogue who's like, I get three attacks, and I was like, I don't understand how you possibly get three attacks. It's yeah, you know, no ro- at, rogue. at first level. Uh, okay, they might be doing something wrong. Uh, because you can well, so his confusion was I do I dual wield, so uh, I get a primary attack and a secondary attack, and then I get a sneak attack, and I was like, well, okay, okay, so okay. I was like, sneak attack's not a separate attack. Yeah, it only applies if you either have advantage or another player character is within five feet of the enemy that you're targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets weird when you have weapons with reach like a halberd, because mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> well, they're still threatening this guy, but yep. like now you no longer get sneak attack because they're a square away from them. Yep. Um, and then it was like, so that's just extra damage. And then the the second attack, you don't get your dex bonus. Correct. Right. Yep. Because your you make your primary attack as a proficiency plus dex bonus. So let's say a plus five, plus two proficiency, plus three dex. Mm-hmm. Your second attack is only plus two proficiency. Mm-hmm. So it's less likely to hit. And and it was this whole thing. And they still don't believe me that, like, that's how it works. And I'm like, the only class that gets two-weapon attack with their bonus is that fighter class, where mm-hmm. you take the, the proficiency at the beginning that lets you use your strength bonus on both attacks. Yep. Um, or if you had a rogue that uh, multi-class, but that's dumb. Right, you could have a rogue that multi-class and a fighter to get that, but that's not what they're doing. They're trying to, to go the assassin path, and it's like, well, then that's not how that works. Are they a human with a feet? No, they're okay. a halfling. So. Okay, never mind. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's um, it's yeah, it's very interesting. It's like, well, that's not quite... So I'm, I'm having to relearn a bunch of stuff, because... It changed just enough between editions that it's like, okay, well, now you got to go back through and, and figure out how all this stuff works again. Well, luckily for me, when I was picking it up, um, it was like, so what had happened was I moved out to Minnesota and I desperately <laughs> wanted to finally play D&D because for my whole life I had the books and no one would play with me. And right. then, um, you know, finally I'm out in Minnesota and I, I get my third edition books, which I still had, and I actually had is it third or three dot five? It's I had the third edition books. Okay, um, my three my three dot books ended up like gone, <laughs> just gone, gone. Did you like sell them? Yeah, I sold them. I just got rid of them because I was like, this game is broken. Yeah, I mean, it gets ridiculous at a certain point, but mm-hmm. so like anyway, moved out to Minnesota. I, all I had was the third edition books. And at that time, it was like, I don't know, it was sometime in 2014, and 5th edition just came out. And everywhere, anyone who you would talk to is like, 4th edition was a travesty. And so I basically was like, okay, I'm going to wait a little while to see what people have to say about this 5th edition. And I'm just going to run 
with the books that I have because they're free. I already have them. Right. And so then started out a campaign in third edition, and then I finally went to my friendly local game store, looked at the fifth edition book, and I was like, oh my god, there's only one paragraph for grappling rules. This is Right, as opposed <laughs> to two pages or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, that really kind of was a, a thing that happened in fourth, though. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, I had a lot of fun playing fourth, and I feel like fourth just gets oddly maligned um there are some people that will you know defend it because it had merits in like some people um like matt colville on youtube loves to talk about that he he rips straight from fourth edition to make combat more interesting in fifth edition because there were these really cool abilities in fourth edition that like they just were like ah no it's dead and they kind of parsed it down for fifth like um like there's so many times I've been looking at the monster manual and I'm just like, this isn't enough. Like this is not going to, they're just going to trounce all over this thing. And then when you get creative and you're like, okay, well I'm going to have it do constant damage if you're within a certain range of it. Yeah. Auras. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something from fourth and you know, but anyway, so when I it had aspects that I really liked, what I will say is as a storyteller, um, I found fourth edition incredibly easy to plan for. Like designing encounters was a breeze um, and planning for sessions was really easy. And I really liked that about the game as a, as a GM. What I will say is it, it suffered from having too much stuff, right? Like yeah. it, it really was very powersy and very like, video gamey in a certain way but it was also cinematic because of that and i think a lot of people overlook that yeah i'm and the you know i don't i never played fourth edition because i just like i said i never could find anybody to play third edition even so, right um but you know the one thing that i've picked up on is when you look at the language used in fourth edition instead of saying something is five feet from you it says one because it's one <laughs> grid one square, yeah. But it was designed to be played with a battle map. It's a it's a tactical combat simulator. But the weird to a certain degree, yeah. But the weird thing about it is, is like you have to like really look at it. Like, okay, so fifth edition went back to this naturalistic language. It's like mm -hmm. a tar a creature that you can see that is within five feet of you, rather mm -hmm. than saying target five squares away, one square, yeah. And um, just doing that makes it have a different flavor because you're looking at it differently and you're tr in fifth edition or anything that uses the natural language is forcing you to look into the world as like real and like tangible. Yeah. I will say it does still, everything's measured in five foot increments. So it's, I have a 30 foot move. I have a 35 foot move. I have a this, that, and like the group that I'm playing with plays with the battle mat mm -hmm. and we use uh, tokens to represent the characters and the monsters. So it's still being played in that tactical kind. Because we, I tried starting with Theater of the Mind with them, and they were just like, "We want to use this mat. We want to know where everything is, so we can like use our fireball because I need to know where that goes." And it's yep. just like, "All right." So then it turned into another like just tactical combat simulator, right? It was like, "Okay, great. I guess we're going to use this mat and we're going to do that." Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's fine. It was just one of those things where I was like, well, this didn't really move the yardstick like I was led to believe it did. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, because, I mean, that's something that D&D has always been in any edition to some degree or, or sometimes more than others. It's like there's so much going on with the noodly rules that, like, you can do theater of the mind, but if you do, um, it puts a lot of power in the DM's hand to say, like, well, is he within range of my fireball? Like, no, he's right. not. He's not. Well, can you prove that? Well, because I yeah. said it, I'm the DM. I, and then do you have combat advantage because you're flanking, and yeah, it's whereas if you've got the mat, there's no question. There's no right? question, like, and we're on different sides. We've got advantage. And um, but the thing that I find though is like when you just don't fight that, or when mm. that's something you know that's that's the juice for you, then it's freaking great because it's like okay if i do this and then i do this like watching my wife uh do her move her her turn with her uh her paladin it's like it's like music it's like music in mechanics it's she's like okay i'm gonna go here i'm gonna attack this and she carefully plans out everything and it's like the system rewards you for thinking tactically and using things at the appropriate time in the appropriate range and all that shit. And then like, if that's the juice for you, it's, it's awesome at doing that stuff. Right. And that's the question is what are you rewarded for doing in the game? Right? Like what does the game reward you for? What does Dungeons and Dragons reward you for? Reward you for tactical play, being smart about how you how combat things, those sorts of things. Like, what does vampire reward you for? I don't really know what the new edition rewards you for. The old edition rewarded you for, like, you know, diabolizing people and taking their blood. <laughs> so well, you just have these these very interesting uh, dynamics inside of these games as you're playing, you know? And it's like, and Shadowrun and Cyberpunk just reward you for loading yourself up with as many augmentations as you possibly can without going insane. Because why not? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, speaking, speaking of, uh, rewards and mm -hmm. such, um, this is, I don't know, we're just like talking, so I'm just like going. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, have you ever looked at or, uh, read about Burning Wheel? I have seen Burning Wheel. Um, that's like a, an interesting game because you look at it and it's not a standard game, right? It's like that little digest-sized hardcover book and the cover of it is, you know, the wheel with all the little stylized glyphs and everything kind of around it. It's red and gold. It looks very pretty, but I haven't interacted with it in any meaningful sense. It is something worth looking into, but it's... it's okay, to quote Adam Koble... It's the Swiss watch of RPGs in mm -hmm. that it is so intricately interconnected and perfectly precision mechanics. Mm -hmm. And at first glance, it's like, oh my God, this, if I thought D&D was complicated, this is like 20 times more. But um, the interesting thing about it, though, is that I, I read the books. I have, I have the books. I read the books. I have attempted to run it, and I think I fucked it up, <laughs> but um, there was a couple times where I didn't, and something, and, and it was working, um, and the experience was smooth, and it was rewarding for both me and the players, 
but because yeah, you were looking to talk to the creators at Gen Con, right? I, I got a quick chance to talk to Adam Koble, like impromptu. Mm. He was like walking around taking uh, pictures because he's really into photography and he takes right. he takes amazing pictures on his Instagram. Um, besides being a super talented GM and all around amazing at everything, um, he uh, I went up to him. I was like, "Hey, so um, I was running Burning Wheel and I ran the." Uh, the scenario that you guys have on the internet. Um, Cause he like, he works with Luke Crane, the creator um, and they're like friends and they consult and whatever. So I was like, Hey, so could you tell me uh, how does one bear fight three player characters? I don't understand because the weird thing about it is it has, um, it has three different fight systems. So there's a social fighting system there's a ranged fighting system, and then there's a uh, melee fighting combat system. But okay. <laughs> the melee fighting combat system breaks down even further because in the book it's like, okay, here's the super easy way to do it. It's quick and dirty. Okay, here is the slightly more involved but still quick and dirty other method. And then here's the full rules. And okay. the full rules are impossible to run with multiple people. And like, it's weird because having gone from D and D where it's like, okay, yeah, there's multiple combatants. We have initiative order and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, it's not that hard. Like once you know the rules, it's like, okay, you go, then you go, then you go. The problem <laughs> with the fight system, it's actually called fight with an exclamation mark. Um, fight is, it's fantastic for one-on-one -on -one combat because what you do is there's a set of, I think it's like 36 different options that you have that are basically 36 actions you could do. So some of them are faint, counterattack, dodge, etc., stuff like that. And you pick one and the opponent picks one and you both reveal it at the same time. Right. And it's great because one of my problems with D&D &D and how D&D &D combat goes, once, especially if you don't re-roll initiative, once you know what the initiative order is, you know that you go, then he goes, then you go, then he goes. And right. you can plan things, and things are dependent on turns, and it's, it's, uh, it's easy to manipulate. But when you have no idea what your, play, what your opponent is going to do, and they have no idea what you're going to do, and they both resolve simultaneously and their interaction changes the dynamic. Like if you dodge and I dodge, we both dodge and nothing happens. Great. Right. But if you dodge and I'm a, I attack, well, then my attack is wasted. But if we both attack, we both hit. And st dynamic fighting systems like that, on paper, it was fascinating. And it was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is like this is what real fighting should feel like. It's like visceral and you could die at any moment, and you have no idea what's going to happen. Problem is, when you do that with one opponent versus multiple opponents, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. It like <laughs> stops working. So I was like, right. hey, Adam, how did three people fight a bear? He's like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you should... You you should have done the the like the the simple combat rules of um, 
basically each side builds a dice pool based on their attack and their defense and you know what weapons they have what armor they have and then just roll two dice pools and you know the victor wins and done that sounds like a problem with the system though like that's not that's weird well it is it is weird because like in the book it says oh you can do the fight system with multiple people i'm like i don't know how i would i don't know how i could run that it it doesn't like there's no initiative there's no order it's like everybody goes at the same time then what yeah (laughs) um but all that being said though the thing going back to you said uh rewarding you know what does the Mm -hmm. system reward what's amazing to me is that like I have over the past like year and part, part of this is duty uh, listening to your podcast. I'm just like, okay, um, I need to be a better DM. I need to be a better game master. I need to, I want to get better. And the only way for me to get better is to try all these different things. Right. I had only been doing D and D and then I, you know, I tried dungeon world. I tried paranoia. I tried, um, uh, Phoenix Dawn Command, which is awesome. Burning Wheel. Some other thing. Splinter. And, like, try to expand my repertoire. And now, I'm like, oh, I understand a lot more that, like, some things don't change regardless of the system. Mm -hmm. And, like, even if somebody told me that, I wouldn't understand that. Like, I had to figure out, like, oh, everything has conflict resolution. How they you know, have their conflict resolution is like kind of what defines the game and like everything has different flavors and it's good at different things. And depending on what I want to do, I use different things at different times. Anyway, ranting. Anyway. Uh, so the interesting thing about burning wheel though, is it says on it, um, I forgot the exact tagline, but it says something to the effect of like, what is burning wheel? Burning wheel is about, Characters who have beliefs and convictions mm-hmm. and act on those beliefs and convictions and change because of their actions. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds like a lofty mission statement from corporate, but like, what does that actually look like? Right. And what's interesting is the mechanics in the game. It's like when you're adventuring, so to speak, in a in Burning Wheel game, you have a belief that you have to state to the group and... Uh, at the beginning of every session, every player, you know, says, okay, this is the, these are my three beliefs. And then um, they're okay. And that, you know, the GM makes a note of it. And then the GM's job, like in the rules, it says like, your job is to challenge those beliefs and see how they react. And then at the end of the session, you have like a, a wrap up and you're like, okay, so let's go over your beliefs. Did you act on them? Did you not? Do you want to change them? Did things that came up in play uh, change them for you? Like it, it, it's not a choice anymore. It's like if you believe, um, if you believe, here's a good belief. Like I believe in the right, uh, the rightful rule of the king, and I will protect him at all costs. Well, what do you do when he gets assassinated? Then what? Right. And um, but the cool thing is, it's not just like, okay, we're gonna have these beliefs and we're gonna role play. It actually, the system rewards you. So at the end of the session, when someone plays their belief, they get uh, what's called like an Artha point. And then those points 
get spent back into the gameplay. And then that advances the gameplay forward. And it just like continues in this circle of this ridiculous feedback loop. And like, I'm kind of like oversimplifying it, but like reading it on paper and then the one or two times that I got it to work, I was like, holy shit, this is weird. Cause it's like the, <laughs> the story just started propelling itself forward where, right. you know, the, I describe a situation, the players react and then the, um, the situation changes and then it just starts rolling and rolling. And I never had that kind of feeling with um, other games where it just seemed to like have a momentum and move forward. And I'm like, oh shit, this is like easy. I think good Dungeon World sessions work that way, but like getting Dungeon World to click with people because it's such like an odd little creature is is tough. Because um, it can get kind of surprisingly rulesy as you're playing it. Well, um, yeah, because it has the thing that's like, it's basically like trigger, this triggers that. Um, right. It's the move system, right? So yeah. it's like, I make a soft move and a soft move and then a hard move and and I can't really do anything unless it's in a response to something you're doing. So some of you the, definitely get that weird back and forth. Some of the systems in um, Dungeon World are like, almost directly pulled from burning wheel though. Um, mm-hmm. like, um, the bonds that you have between different characters, right. that's something that's in burning wheel. And I think I'm pretty sure Adam has said like, he, he unashamedly says, yeah, no, I took that from burning wheel. Cause it's awesome. Um, yeah, it's in a lot of games now, I think. And I think a lot of games kind of presuppose that whole, like, cause I mean, even in mutant year zero, it has it right. It's like, oh, we're going to build relationships before we ever start playing so that we know what we're about before we do anything. Yeah, and so you can avoid that awkward situation of like, okay, so how do you guys know each other? Okay, now we're going to spend an hour of like, none of you <laughs> none of you trust each other because you just met, and why would you trust somebody you just met? <laughs> we're all in a tavern. Yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, it's designed to prevent that mercenary group meets in a tavern and is given a, you know, MacGuffin task by Mr. X kind of thing, right? Nobody wants to do that anymore. Well, some people still do, but the majority of people don't want to do that anymore. No, because we've been spoiled by good storytelling. <laughs> no, or we've seen it a million times. We don't care to do it anymore, right? Like, that's, that's kind of one of the things as I'm running D&D again, is I'm just like, I've done this so many times. Like, I... I don't know what I'm doing here, you know? It's, okay, you're going to go fight some goblins because you're first level, and you're going to go fight some more goblins, and okay, now here's the boss fight, and oh, he's a bugbear. Like, all right, great, he's a bugbear, and he's got, like, a wolf, and you're going to fight him. All right, cool. Now we're going to upgrade to level two. Now you're going to go into town, and you're probably going to fight some humans. So get ready to fight some human. You know, it's like it's that very predictable kind of cadence you start to develop. Mm-hmm. Well, the real fun though is when you pull the rug from out from under them, and <laughs> yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, what? We're I don't know, you know, different." Right, but with new players, I don't want to just start no. with that, right? Like, no. I don't want to lead with like I'm gonna. It's I I feel like obligated to give them that very traditional Dungeons and Dragons experience where it's. All right, great. Go fight goblins. Cool. Go fight like this monster. Cool. Like nothing you do is wrong, and it it's fascinating 
how quickly they they kind of fall into familiar rhythms like i've already kind of identified the the murder hobo character and mm-hmm. you know it's, it's you end up in these very kind of uh repeatable cadences where it's oh all right yeah i've seen that before i know what this person's going to do yeah but i mean the thing i mean it's taken a long time for <laughs> for my group but uh <laughs> Basically, I was like, okay, at, at a certain point, like we've been, um, we had been playing the same characters, like the same ongoing campaign for over a year. It was like a year and a half. And like, um, we started out, you know, in a home, homebrew world that I had created. And then I, <laughs> I learned about Spelljammer and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so then, you know, they get whisked off into wild space and, then go to the Rock of Brawl and have adventures there. And then Tomb of Annihilation came out, and I was like, oh, oh no, now this is the new hotness. And, right. then, uh, and then I ran Dinosaur them. racing! Yeah. And then I, I ran them through that, mostly um, sped them through the beginning parts and just got them to the, the final dungeon, which mm-hmm. was an experience and a half because... There were certain points of it where it was like the like running it like kind of made me like anxious and like I don't want to say depressed, but it was just like it was oppressive. It's like every room they went in, they were paranoid and I was paranoid. And it was like I was like, oh shit, this thing is taking on a life its own and I'm like terrified they're all gonna die and hate me. Um Right. <laughs> That's kind of a classic experience though, like Tomb of Elemental Evil, Ravenloft, you know, you end up with these these very classic adventures where they have that very oppressive like death stalks you at every turn. And I mean even Lamentations of Flame Princess does that all the time. You know? Oh you press this organ key, there's a fifty percent chance you're gonna die. Just outright. Yeah. Yeah, just outright. Oh sorry. Well, like somewhere about halfway through that experience, I was like thinking about uh, the sessions and like, you know, what I wanted out of an RPG and, and what we were doing. And it's not like what we were doing wasn't fun, but I was just like, man, I want more. Like I, I want more. And then um, they finished, you know, they, they, they beat the dungeon. There was a couple close scrapes, but like, Basically, they exited the dungeon, and we kind of like wrapped up the campaign. And then, uh, and I was like, "Okay, guys, um, I need a break as the DM. Like, so who's running something?" And right. we we kind of we started like, "Okay, Phil's not going to be the DM for a while, and uh, you know who's next?" And then my friend Sam was like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to run Call of Cthulhu." I'm like, "Great, awesome, yeah, <laughs> you're up." But like, um, yeah, it's like eventually I got to this conversation with myself that then became a conversation with the players. I was like, look, I want more than just killing shit and getting loot. And like, that's fun and all, but I want some drama. I want some some moral ambiguity. I want some uh, beliefs and, and goals like, if your only goal is to get loot and kill shit, then, like, play a video game. Like, that's not why I want to play an RPG. I want to play an RPG so that um, I get this sense of a real world that I can play with and feel things, you know? Right. 
And yeah, Skyrim's still a thing if you want to just like murder shit and take their stuff. Oh yeah, you could do that shit for hours and hours and never get bored. Right. Yeah. Um, but so I just had a conversation with my players. We're like, "Hey guys, um, uh, I want more." And it was funny because one of my players was just like, "Yeah, we were in a dungeon that was a death trap. There wasn't much room for character development." <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> Fair point. So, most recent thing, the conversation was, okay, guys, um, like, lately I've been, like, chomping at the bit. Um, I started kind of like a second group with some of the same players, and I was like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna run Splinter, because I can't wait to run this thing, and it's weird, it's awesome. And we've had two sessions of that, and it's been great so far. It's really freaking weird, but it's been great. Um, but then uh, with the main group, I was like, so I want to run again, but I kind of want to start over because you guys are level 20 and I, right. ha- I have no idea how to challenge you because mm-hmm. you can literally drop meters from the sky. Yeah, you're demigods. So now what? Like, I don't right. have any experience running other than the experience that we've had just recently. I don't have any experience with like, how do you structure campaigns with 20th level D&D characters. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, okay, let's start over. Session zero. Can we all get together and have a discussion of like, what kind of story do we want? What kind of backdrop do we want? Like sit down and have this discussion because like the beginning of this group, it was just kind of like Phil is running D&D. Phil is going to teach you how to play D&D. And players will fall off and get added as need be for the right number of people. So, like, I never had the luxury of a session zero. I was always trying to teach the next new person and keep the group together and, like, just have a set schedule. (laughs) Right. That it's like, okay, now that we finally have a solid group and everybody's having fun and they want to have more fun and, you know, we all went to Gen Con this past Gen Con, and it was like, I was like really happy for them because it was like, you know, it's like it's like the holy pilgrimage, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, gaming nerd mecca, and you know, seeing that there's a wider world out there, um, and seeing that my this gaming group is getting passionate uh, about, you know, everyone has their different things they're passionate about, but like we want to game together and we want to make it awesome. So it's like, okay, now that we have a group. Now that everyone's on board, (laughs) we need to start over. We need to hit restart and, like, figure out what the hell we're doing and agree, like, okay, you want this, I want this, you want that. Let's make everybody happy instead of, like, Phil being miserable because he doesn't know how to run 20th level people. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's one of the things Dungeon World, like, when you look at it, does really well is it, it builds that initial, we have to sit down and agree about what the world is. The thing about that is, man, you got to be good at improv if you want to run that because they are just throwing curveballs at you left and right. And so, you know, you can sit down, you can have that session zero but and and figure it out, but you've got to very quickly get up to speed and start cracking away on, all right, this is what all this means, this is how all this looks. Yeah. No, that's definitely something. Yeah, it's been super fascinating, and it's it's been great. Just, it, you know, it's been... 
I guess, a learning experience. I won't call it great. It's been a learning experience interacting with D&D again at like a, a very new group and a very low-level group because it's definitely one of those things where like last session we had this moment where they went into the shop and they were going, well, they got like these items here, right? I'm like, oh yeah, they got items and you can buy them for gold. And they're like, well, why don't I just kill this guy and, and <laughs> take it? And I'm just sitting there like, you have hit on the quintessential like Dungeons and Dragons question. Why don't, like if I kill monsters and take their stuff, why don't I kill the townspeople and take their stuff, right? And I didn't have an answer for it. I just, I told her, I was like, you can feel free to kill this guy and take his stuff. I was like, but at that point, we are going in a very different direction with this campaign. Mm -hmm. Because you are effectively a traveling band of murderers, you know, if you decide to head down this path. Like, I'll give you all of the first-level magic items this guy has, and he's got a good amount, and you'll have them, and then you're going to have to go to the next bigger score and murder that guy in that town, you know what I mean? You're just going to have to go from town to town, and then essentially, I guess we're playing like Blades in the Dark or something, you know, where it's we're just trying to rob everyone that we come across. But then, uh, you know, that's, I can't remember where I remember uh, seeing that online somewhere. It's like, why should they get away with it? Like, there's got to be <laughs> somebody that is aware of these adventurers going around killing people. It's like, is there though? Cause civilization is described as points of light, right? It's like little towns, little points of light. And so if you murder everyone in the town, who's going to rat you out, there's not really going to be anybody to rat you out unless you just foolishly go up to the next town and go, Hey, we just came from, you know, North Haverbrook. And they go, oh, well, everyone in North Haybrook's dead. <laughs> let, me, let me do some deduction there. Well, one, one way to tackle that problem is you look at uh, the also, you know, presupposed feudal system. <laughs> and if there's a feudal system, there's a lord or a baron over all this shit. And if a yeah, so you murder him, too. But, yeah, I, it was definitely one of, those, one of those cases where I'm just going, well, I mean, at, at some point, the gods would notice, right? Like, oh, at yeah. some point. Paylor or whoever goes like, oh yeah, there's this, you become the monsters. There's this murderous band of misfits traveling around killing merchants and taking all of their items. So we should probably have someone go do something about that. But yeah, it's it's very funny because, like I said before, you end up in these very familiar patterns that you've seen over and over and over again. Well, and it's, oh, we're going to go kill goblins. Oh, we're going to fight these human guards. Oh, we're just going to decide to murder Hobo our way out of every situation. Oh, we're going to, you know, try to interact with the world in a very kind of cynical way, mm -hmm. you know, where it's, what can I do to, to get the maximum utility? Well, like that was, you know, think the same things that I ran up against and I'm just like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm just going to hope that eventually if we just keep playing out these scenarios, they're going <laughs> to they get work bored. It out. Well, they're mm -hmm. going to get bored. It's like, if you keep doing that and, and it keeps working and whatever, then it's like, okay, well we've done that. I guess we should, like, do something else now. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go do something else now. Maybe well, that's a good point. And maybe that's what it is, is you just got to wait them out and see when they get when they get tired of it. You go, all right, cool, now let's try to do something a little more rewarding. Well, because there's definitely, like, a novelty to it, and, like, you see it all the time <laughs> in video games. Like, when I'm playing a video game, the first thing I do is I test the limits. It's like, okay, right. this is where the map ends. Okay, I can't go that way. 
can I kill this character? No, apparently they're essential NPC, so I can't because the program won't let me. But yeah, but there's just no reload, right? Like in in original Oblivion, you could kill people who would it would prevent you from advancing the story. Yep. You know, and they were like, oh yeah, you killed that guy, and you'd have to load a previous save. Yep. And then the later ones, they're like, oh yeah, that person's essential, and you can't kill them. But Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's like, oh, you killed this guy. All right, great. Then I guess the session's over, but because there's nothing else you can do. But that's the exciting thing, though, because then you have your brilliant creativity to just be like, okay, well then, this thing happens because right. of that. <laughs> yeah, you took this action. Yeah, it's definitely a cause and effect. Cool. Well, we're coming up on I think the tail end of this thing, so thanks for joining me, and we will probably cut this off in the interest of time and we'll do it again soon does that sound good i would absolutely love that it's been an honor and a privilege to rant with you <laughs> all right awesome same here well thank you for joining me and uh we'll see everybody next time